Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, you're very welcome to the Mick Clifford podcast with the Irish Examiner. My guest today is Holly Cairns, who was elected to the 33rd Dáil last month for the Cork Southwest constituency. Her election was unexpected, I think it's fair to say, largely because her party, the Social Democrats, were not considered any kind of a force in the constituency. In fact, the Social Democrats won six seats, which of itself, I think, was something of a surprise in terms of anything the pundits were predicting in any event. And for Holly Cairns herself, it was something of a meteoric rise, having been elected for the first time to Cork County Council just last May. Now, in what must be a poor reflection at recent attempts at gender balance in the Dáil, she is also the only female TD to represent any of the constituencies in Cork City or County. Holly, you're very welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. Holly, can I just basically ask you, first of all, in terms of these extraordinary times, What's life like as a new TD? Yeah, so um, I presume very different to what life is normally like as a newly elected TD, um, you know, in terms of restricting movements, uh, social social isolation, all of those things. Uh, a lot of time is spent uh, working from home, so on the phone to constituents, dealing with so many kind of queries and concerns, uh, for the most part related to coronavirus, everything else is sort of on the back burner to a certain extent for the for the whole country, I think. So, yeah, it's, straight, it's been a strange start uh, to be an elected to Dáil Éireann. Um, but I suppose for every newly elected TD and re-elected one, it's a, it's a strange time for everyone. Naturally, it is. And when you say a lot of the requests are related to coronavirus, what kind of um, inquiries are you getting from constituents? Just typically, without, without obviously breaching any confidences, but just the typical kind of inquiries with relation to the virus. Yeah, so they're, they're so broad ranging everything from wondering how to get the COVID welfare payments to um, wondering about getting tested to um, some really kind of harrowing situations as well like a lot of people um, who are experiencing domestic violence this kind of situation really heightens that kind of thing Um, things like you know we've you know our industries are different down here to the city so things like for example um the fishing community is getting in touch to say, like, the bottom has fallen out of the restaurant market for them. Um, are they supposed to stop working and get the payments or continue fishing? We don't want to, a kind of uh, problem in the supply chain either, but they can't be expected to operate at a loss and there is no payment for them. Um, all these different things, like, it's it's everything. You name it and it's coming in, really. <laughs> and I'd imagine, Holly, in your constituency, tourism is a pretty big industry, which has been particularly hit in its own way as well. Absolutely. We have three major industries in West Cork. We have farming, the fisheries and tourism, and they'll all be very negatively affected by it. Obviously, in terms of farming and fisheries, it's food supply to restaurants and small food producers as well. In terms of tourism, you know, since uh, the hospitality rate was put back up, like all hotels and bars and restaurants have been struggling anyway and this could just be the straw that broke the camel's back and I think 
you know, when we're thinking about supports afterwards, the hospitality sector is something that really has to come into it and paying the same bat perhaps as, you know, urban areas. We don't have all year round tourism here or bookings in hotels. So there's so many nuances to it, really. It's it's going to be a difficult time for everybody. It is. I mean, that VAT issue is definitely uh, one that has come up again and again, and you've heard arguments on both sides. But I do take your point. I think the tourism will be just one of a number of sectors who will be making special pleading at the end of this. I think we'll all be making special pleading in one form or another. Um, in terms of yourself, Holly, as I said, you would something of a meteoric rise, certainly in terms of public perception. Um, elected to County Council last May. You're from a farming background yourself. What what brought you into politics? And as well, what brought you into the Social Democrats? So I suppose there's a lot of reasons. Like one thing that would drive you to politics is farming. In my opinion, the way CAP is structured, the way farming is practised in Ireland and the knock-on effect of that is a huge problem. I think I first became engaged in politics when I was about 18 or 19 during the presidential election and I canvassed for David Norris at that time because I felt he was going to be the president most likely to change the way the LGBT community were treated in Ireland. Um, but I had no interest in politics again after that. Um, I remember going out and protesting when the banks were bailed out. So I suppose that was kind of political engagement, although I didn't see it at that at the time. And then I was living and working abroad. I knew I was going to move home to take on the family farm business. And I came home a bit earlier than what was convenient to help sort of canvas and vote for marriage equality. And but again, I never had like a really profound interest in politics. I certainly never thought I'd be engaged in a political party or be a candidate myself. And then when the referendum to repeal the eighth came around, I was really involved in that and led some of the canvases in West Cork. And I suppose it sounds obvious enough to most people, but it was kind of a light bulb moment for me in that you knock on doors, you ask people to vote and you can actually affect positive change like that, just like that. It's really effective. And I remember thinking, like in terms of political parties, it almost kind of, I thought there was no such thing as honest politics in Ireland, finishing school during the recession. I just, the word political party almost seemed like a dirty one, you know. And I think we've had a dominance of civil war politics in Ireland since the foundation of the state. So it doesn't really engage young people or people who want change or, you know, always with that kind of the constant battle between two almost identical parties in elections you know, politics didn't really speak to me or hear me or, you know, like a lot of young people in Ireland. Um, but after that sort of realisation through the campaign to repeal the eighth, I really thought about it and thought actually being politically engaged is so important. And that is how you affect change. There's no point in complaining, you know, <laughs> sick of complaining, time to do something about it. And um, you can actually do a quiz on online. I was very much a swing voter. You answer all of these questions that are pretty abstract and it tells you what party you align with. Now, that wasn't the only deciding factor for me. Throughout that kind of observation of politics throughout my life without being properly engaged in it, Roisin Shorthall and Catherine Murphy always stood out to me in Irish politics as honest, hardworking, you know, the kind of people I want fighting in my corner, representing the country, you know. <laughs> um, and then realising that they were the leaders of the, the Social Democrats, I hadn't quite realise that and then that was the, the result I got from the quiz and people who were quite involved with repeal were members of the Social Democrats so there's that kind of like-mindedness as well it's like you go to school and you find your tribe isn't it it's kind of a similar yeah a similar thing um so I joined the party and I didn't even realize there was local elections coming up when I say we I joined the party like we formed a branch in West Cork and it was three of us um so it was like a really small branch but you have to start somewhere 
and um, one of the women, Pamela, who was already a member of the Social Democrats, said there's an election coming up. Would anyone think of standing? And the other two just had more sense, like they wouldn't have done it. And at that point, I have to say, I too thought we don't have a hope, but this is how you build, this is how you get members. You know, we need to let people know that we exist and what we stand for and that we're out there and hopefully we can build the party from there. So certainly when we announced that we were going for the local elections, I was literally laughed in the face at, you know, um, people telling me straight, you know, you don't have a hope. People actually found it quite amusing. Um, and that is hard. Like, it's hard to be laughed at to a certain extent. Um, but we just, you know, kept going. And I really had an attitude at doors and everything that I'd never say what I thought somebody wanted to hear for a vote. I'd just say what I thought and say, you know, if, if it really wasn't what they wanted to hear, which is often the case, well, at least, you know, I'll be honest. And it's kind of nice to go into politics in a way as that underdog and you have absolutely nothing to lose. I think that's really important. You're there for a reason and it's not just to get votes and to please everybody. And one of the things that always bothered me with politics in general, not just in Ireland, is you see this kind of contortion of principle and personality based on who is around you in order to get everybody's vote. And that's a big problem. Yeah, the one thing that leaps out there, Holly, Cork South West, a, a sprawling constituency. I think it's fair to say a traditional constituency in a lot of ways. And you're saying you were motivated, I think, as you're pointing out, by the social issues that arose in the various amendments, marriage equality and the eighth in recent years. And you started a branch for the Social Democrats with three people, what, three or four years ago in, in the constituency? Jesus, less. Um, it was just after the referendum. Right. So, and branch of three people. And, and this has ultimately led to your election to the Dáil. Yeah, it's been such a roller coaster. So we took the seat. Actually, we didn't get elected until uh, June because I had two recounts. So the election was in May, but I took my council seat by a single vote, which is almost unheard of as well. Um, so we had so many recounts that I didn't actually get in until June. And then, you know, the general election was not long after that. So it's been a total roller coaster from people laughing at us to going for a local election seat to, to getting a, a seat in the Dáil. Yeah. And the other thing that would strike me, as you said, people were laughing at you, particularly the presence of the party in the constituency, tradition, etc. And you had that experience. Then after being elected to the council, did you have a similar experience in going for the Dáil and were you approaching it in a different way because of your experience in running for the council? There was so like quite a lot of similarities between the two campaigns. Yeah, like the politicos were the same, like she doesn't have a hope. Um laughed at again but like also other people in the constituency would have a slightly different perception maybe people who aren't so tuned into you know there's this kind of you know, this attitude oh that's a Fianna Fáil seat that's a Fianna Gael seat like they're actually Cork South West seats and not everybody's tuned into who supposedly owns these seats so it was slightly different to the general election in that perhaps we were seen as somewhat electable you know, that we made it in the locals. And I think the other thing is, is that all these politicos and everything, you know, West Cork, so conservative and, you know, Fine Gael, Heartland, Michael Collins' home constituency, all this kind of stuff. The presumption that we're all conservative in rural Ireland is not only untrue, it's a little bit offensive. Just just because we're from a rural area doesn't mean we can't engage in meaningful debate, understand facts, want something more progressive, want a fair, more equal society. You know, all of those presumptions are they're a bit ridiculous, to be honest. And I knew that from growing up here, but I also knew it from canvassing here for the referendums. I very much agree with you, yeah. Yeah, and two, like two-thirds of this constituency voted for um, abortion care in Ireland. So 
in the amendment. Yeah. Yeah, no, I very much agree. And I think it's also fair to say that parts of Cork South West have a reputation of being somewhat alternative relative to other parts, rural parts of the country going back decades. You've a lot of people coming in and that type of thing. You were elected so to the council, Holly, and um, you've spoken before about your experience there in terms of uh, being a woman elected and an and experience one of the first days you were in there. Yeah, I, you know, I must find it amusing. And since getting into the Dole, it's come up a lot more as well, because as you mentioned, I'm the only female TD in the county and city of Cork. And, you know, this kind of like when it comes up on uh, discussions like political shows or programmes and everyone kind of I wonder why in this kind of scratching our heads and like there's so many really obvious reasons why we don't have better gender equality in politics um for example there's no maternity leave on Cork County Council there's no maternity leave in the Dole um you know like that's just one very basic and obvious thing but also it's very difficult for us to talk about gender equality in any circumstance it's a very kind of uh, heated discussion always and often when you try and broach the topic um, you're perceived as being in some way anti-men or you know and that makes it very difficult to have a conversation about what we need to do is to figure out how can we even talk about this without <laughs> you know we've so far to come really on this one in my opinion but you know this kind of attitude of sometimes people just won't acknowledge it and kind of say women should get in on their own merit and all this kind of stuff you know it's just it's unreasonable. We know yeah. that the odds are stacked up against us and we can't be expected to keep defying the odds in that situation. Like, yeah, you spoke about that one situation on Cork County Council. It was my first day on the council and um, I was watching a colleague congratulate other newly elected members who were male and said, you know, congratulations on a great, great campaign and well-deserved kind of a thing. And when he came to me, he said, well done, you look great. And he patted me on the shoulder. But like, that's just one... I, I mentioned that at the National Women's Council of Ireland event and it's come up so much because people are shocked by it. But I could I could go on all day with stories like that of how I've been treated so differently and therefore unfairly for being a woman in politics. It's It comes into every aspect of your day in politics, in my opinion. So even um, just after this election... Um, I was in the supermarket and somebody said, Holly, congratulations. And I was there. Oh, my God, thank you so much. Um, presuming that the congratulations was for, for taking a seat in the door. And they said, um, when are you due? And I was like, what? Like, I'm not pregnant, but that's the consistent, you know, so much, so many rumours about that kind of thing. And like, that doesn't happen to men in politics. Like, you presume your congratulations is for winning back-to-back -back elections. Um, another thing just after the election was somebody said to me, because my partner is also um, a TD, and somebody said to me, Holly, um, being a politician's wife is no life for you. And I'm not married, but I'm seen as a politician's wife. However, I am a TD and I'm still not seen as a politician. And I even said in that moment, what would I have to do for you to see me as a politician? You know, is it get elected to the council? Is it get elected to the Dáil? But that's not enough. However, I am seen as a politician's wife when I'm not married. You know, these kind of yeah. things. If you, if you and you enter a conversation in the world of politics, so I would always feel this on the council. You're seen differently. You're just noticed as the, a woman in the room. So if there's a group of council officials and councillors and they're talking about 
um, you know, funding that might be coming down the line or a development and you want to go over and join in in that conversation because that's what it's all about. You want the information, you want to know what's happening and you're met with, oh, you look great. So the conversation's changed. Nobody's continuing with the conversation. And then if you react in some way to that that isn't thank you, you can't take a compliment. But at the end of the day, you're excluded <laughs> and you're not able to do your job to the same degree as somebody else who was in that conversation. So, yeah, it's a constant struggle, in my opinion, and something I think that, you see, whenever women in politics are asked about it, nobody really wants to be saying, this is a terrible problem, we need to deal with it. Because like I said, sometimes you're perceived as being in some way anti-men or, you know, an angry feminist is a word we hear a lot. And that needs to change too. We have to be able to talk about it. As you said, your partner, Chris O'Sullivan, he was elected in the same constituency as yourself. But that incident you referenced, somebody identified you effectively, mistakenly in terms of being married to Christy, but identified you as, as being in a relationship with him, irrespective of the fact you were elected as a TD in the same constituency. Exactly. And like when um, Christopher got added to the ticket, because we didn't expect to actually end up standing against each other. He's a Fianna Fáil TD, yeah. Yeah, he didn't think he'd be added to the ticket. Um, No one did because um, Fianna Fáil were struggling to meet their gender quotas and we had a female TD in Cork South West who was Fianna Fáil. It was very last minute he was put in the ticket. And at the next full council meeting, another councillor came over and said to me, you better get used to the housewife role now, Holly because he had been added to the ticket. And to be fair, I couldn't have been more engaged and interested to go and run for an election in, like you say, a fairly considered to be conservative constituency as a social democrat. I was hardly just doing it for the job or something. I would have done it the easy way then with one of the bigger parties, you know? Um, The presumption that I'm not as engaged or not as invested in a career, that bothers me a lot as well. It's simply because of my gender, that I would be the one to take on the the role in the household or something, you know. I do, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, and I think, to be fair, in other walks of life now, currently, that would seem quite amazing. But as you say, I think politics has a journey to travel in that regard. Yeah, sorry, what I meant to say to you earlier was that when you referenced the constituency being Michael Collins' constituency, I presume you were referring to the big fella as opposed to Michael Collins, who currently represents Cork South West. Exactly. But in fairness, I suppose it's both of their heartlands now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it just, it just struck me as, as, as a, an ironic thing. Anyway, you're, you're in the Social Democrats. As I say, the party got six seats up from two. Well, it was originally three and then Stephen Donnelly left, joined Fianna Fáil. And you had the two... TDs, two co-leaders, Catherine Murphy and Roisin Shortall, you know, six seats. Holly, what are your thoughts on the fact that the party, it would seem, decided early on that they would not go into any coalition talks with Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael? Yeah, so we've seen in very recent history what a, a partnership between Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael is like and uh, it doesn't represent the kind of change that we campaigned for, canvassed for. It doesn't represent what the party stands for. So, yeah, I mean, we were open to discussions with all other parties, but those two together, like I say, from very recent history, we know it doesn't kind of advocate for the kind of change that we do. Um, but in terms of like government information, everything's changed now. And there is, um, you know, to a certain extent, people are feeling like, well, everyone needs to step up for the country. And, you know, it, it, this really has changed everything. Like I say, everything's on the back burner. It's all about dealing with this crisis. 
So we are in contact with other party leaders regarding the current crisis and the political situation and potential solutions. And it's such a fast moving and charged environment that we're also taking out that it's important to make decisions in in not so much of a knee jerk reaction that like we really are thinking about everything, but also for the next few years, not just now. So, I mean, are you, are you suggesting there, Holly, that the possibility and only a possibility may be back on the table in terms of the party engaging with um, the so-called big two? Like, we'll, yeah, I mean, like that, we'll, we'll, we'll continue to engage honestly and openly with them um, to see if, if anything can be agreed in terms of, you know, we want social democratic policies and principles as the foundation of any possible scenario. Um, and the, like even the current crisis has really exposed the fragility of our society. And like we'd like to seek solutions and policies that address that and rebuild a country that works for everybody. And like Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael austerity is not something I've been a fan of in the past. And this kind of the way the conversations change now. And as you know, I'm very new to politics, so I'm honestly trying to figure this out myself at the moment. And if there is a situation where everybody needs to step up, put their politics aside and, and make sure we have a government that can deal with this crisis. Perhaps that's something we need to do. It's also, in my opinion, still our role to represent what we said we would when we ran for these elections and took these seats. And like part of me, and this is my personal opinion rather than a party one, mm. I don't know how much of an impact six people can have in a government in terms of trying to make sure that the most vulnerable people in society aren't the worst hit when austerity is implemented again. You know, if that's something that six people can do, and like, again, very recent history would tell us that if a small party goes in with big ones, that's the end of them. Well, that's absolutely to some extent. But I'll give you another scenario. Uh, The Progressive Democrats were a party that were, I know I can't remember the specifics, but one stage there was lowest. Two seats are up to eight or ten at one stage. I think history will record did a major impact on the Fianna Fáil Progressive Democrat uh, governments that existed through the 80s. So, I mean, the notion that a small party can't have a big influence, the Labour Party would claim, and a lot of people would dispute it, that they had an influence in ensuring that the austerity that was implemented after the recession wasn't as bad as it could be. So there, there are possibilities there, I'd suggest to you. I know exactly what you mean, because that's what I'm trying to figure out when I say I'm honestly trying to understand what would be the turn of events. So I think in terms of when you consider the PDs trying to influence a Fianna Fáil government, that's very different to the Social Democrats trying to influence a Fianna Gael one, for example. Why? Um, because of the the nature of their politics and their, their ways of thinking. And when I say, like in recent history, that it sort of ruins a party, even if some people would say, and perhaps they're right, that Labour did make an impact on this or and that and all the rest of it. It did see the sort of demise of the party and the same thing happened with the Greens. But my point was that even if it is the end of the party, if you sort of go in because like that, the you know, we're in a very strange situation and it's a mitigating circumstance and everybody needs to step up and do what they can in this situation. Even if you were to do that and say, you know, we might see the end of the party. Perhaps it's the right thing to do in this situation if, as six people, you can have a positive impact and protect the more vulnerable people in society that I don't see that other parties have done in the past when we're implementing austerity. Perhaps that's true. That's what I'm trying to understand as someone who's fairly new to politics. And also, 
what sort of power would you have or impact in opposition to do that too? You know, that's something I'm, I'm trying to get my head around as well. So if we are taking the approach of what's best for the country rather than what's best for the party, maybe it's one of those things. But also, is what's best for the country to actually, like we see when they're, they're talking about all the, the emergency measures now, that we need a single tier health system in a crisis like this. Nobody should be more entitled to health care than another. I think that's the way it should be all of the time. And after things like this, like big crises happen, what ideas do we want left floating around at the end? And I want social democracy to be one of them. So perhaps not being around after the crash is not the best thing for the country. But again, they're all things that we need to figure out. Yeah, and you mentioned healthcare, and I think a lot of people would agree with you. And one person in the last stall who was very much to the forefront in health was Roisin Shortall. She was, I think she drove, I think it's fair to say, the um, the campaign to have Slaunchy Care to, to, to compile the report initially and then an attempt to have it implemented. But surely you would have thought that somebody like Roisin Shortall uh, focusing on an issue like Slaunchy Care would be a very positive uh, thing for the country as a whole. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, and yeah, Roisin being the architect of Slaunchy Care is something that I think, you know, was certainly when I was canvassing the election, people... Most people, in my opinion, in Ireland are social democrats. They just haven't realised it yet. And when you talk to people and you take the time to discuss things with people at the door, the idea that, for example, in the context of slunch care, every child should have equal access to health care, that no child should be more entitled to good health care based on how deep their pockets are, is something that most Irish people actually really agree with. We've just never really had that option. Like I say, especially from the outside, if you're not really interested in politics like perhaps you and I are having this conversation you don't know what the other options are it's always been Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael and we feel like it doesn't matter what way I vote it's always the same crowd which we've always voted for the same thing over and over again and I think spreading that message of what we actually stand for like the principles of slaunch care and that can apply to everything that you know there should be equal access to education too that nobody should be should have an unfair shot that everybody should have the right to live a dignified existence I think that most Irish people are in favour of that. We just haven't always had the option. Um, And I think it's important to build that too. But like I said, this whole situation does change everything and everything needs to be rethought and reconsidered. And we need to be, you know, I suppose we need to be really responsible with that. Are you confident, Holly, that there will be changes coming out of this crisis because there have been previous crises and a lot of people would argue that irrespective of thoughts that were floated at the time there wasn't ultimately change coming out of it. Um, I suppose I do feel like there'll be change to come out of it. Um, forever the optimist. Um, I hope there'll be positive changes. This is a really challenging time and you know I don't think any amount of positive changes afterwards will ever make us see this is a good thing by far like it's it's such a tragedy and we see what's happening in Italy it's hard to think past all of this and see what good could come from it but it it, sometimes you know you stop you rethink and even if you have um like a a loss for example you know change the context and loss in your personal life sometimes brings you down to earth to a certain extent and that perspective is helpful and Things like this, when we look at in this situation, we feel like everybody's entitled to the same health care. Perhaps after this, we'll think the same. You know, <laughs> um, I do think that, yeah, some positive change come out of this. And I think when we see the the perhaps positive effect this could have on the environment, when we look afterwards at how much did we reduce our greenhouse gas, gas emissions during that time, 
um, you know, how was it when everyone was working from home? Does that, you know, reduces our carbon footprint? Um, all those things. I really like I do think and I really hope that we'll see some positive changes from this. Absolutely. Holly, finally, you you don't come, as, as you said yourself, from a, a traditional political background. Um, you, you're still relatively new. From that perspective, have you, since entering politics, had any moment whereby you stopped and said to yourself, oh, my God, what have I let myself in for? Yeah, totally. Um, even somebody said to me, I can't remember who it was, um, you know, do you prefer politics to the farming? And I just stopped in that moment. It was after the election. And thought, if somebody said to me, would you rather be a TD or work in your family farm and business? We grow vegetable seeds here. We have an organic beef herd. Um, like, there's no way I'd pick politics. But that it's that expression. It sounds like such a cliche now, but I'm going to say it, that life is what happens while you're making other plans. That's exactly what happened. And despite the fact that when I look at the two options, I'd rather be at home working on the family farm business, um, I still feel like it's the right thing. Like, I'm glad I'm doing what I'm doing. And, you know, it just happened. I wouldn't change it. Great stuff. Holly Cairns, listen, thank you very much for joining us today. And good luck to you in the Nudal whenever we finally see it actually getting underway. That's it for today, folks. I'd like to thank our engineer, JJ Vernon. I'd like to thank you for listening. You can get us on iTunes, on Spotify, on all the other platforms. And you can let me know what you think at mick.clifford.examiner.ie or on Twitter at at mickcliff. See you again soon and stay in by the wall. On Formative, middle school kids from New York City public schools interview a phenomenal collection of grown-ups. Me, like, I don't know what I want to do. You don't have to have all the answers. I feel like a lot of people's favorite topics are, like, interest in their life. That is a really good answer. The podcast where the leaders of today are interviewed by leaders of tomorrow. Listen now at newyorkedge.org slash formative or wherever you get your podcasts.